0: Thanks for joining us on the Gen Church Wah podcast of Generations Church. We are a community of everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. Right now, we are gearing up for the fall. If you haven't connected to an activity group or a ministry team, head over to our website, mygenerations.church, and take a look around. We would love to help you connect today. Now, every year, one of our pastors takes the teaching time for three consecutive weeks to teach a series that's been brewing in their heart. This is part of our vision to help generations to come know the name of the Lord and what He has done for them. It starts with raising up more communicators of the gospel. This month, Pastor John Grabhorn has revived his series, Making Room, People, Not Projects. I hope you enjoy the teaching from the scriptures. And I'm going to read it to you as well. So um, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Have you answered correctly, Jesus replied? Do this, and you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so we asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So with that, John is going to tell us about who our neighbor is. So thanks, John.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I am excited for those who have been around for a little bit. Yeah, kind of a new series around with us last August. This may or may not be kind of similar in line with that. We had uh, a series in last August called Making Room as well. You could say this might be like the trilogy. You know, some people like those. Some people think those are decent. If you're a Star Wars fan, maybe not so much. Man, no one likes Star Wars. Okay, I was saying in this new series, we're going to be talking about how strangers, how we move from strangers to friends and friends to family. And when I said we're going to start today with strangers, some of you might have had an emotion or reaction that came out of that, because often what that means is that means we have to meet new people and deal with new people. And sometimes, if you're a little bit of an introvert, that's not always fun. It's not always your first instinct. It's not something that always comes with with joy or gratefulness, because a lot of times you have to introduce yourself. You have to meet people. You have to have these moments of first impressions. And let me just tell you, I am the king of terrible first impressions. just, Just give me a second, Peggy. When I was back in college, this was about, what, five, six years ago. I was going into my second year, and me and my buddy Jason, we were really close, Around this time going into our second year, his girlfriend was going to be in her first year of college, and she was coming on campus, and he's like, man, you know, I'd really love for you to find a girl this year. That way we can go on double dates and do all this stuff, still hang out and be as close as we we're going to be. He's, he's like, John, I'm going to make it my life mission this semester. I'm going to find you a girl. And my buddy Jason, when he's determined, and he sets his mind to something. It's not much that stops him. He's going to go out of his way to try and make something happen out of nothing. And so... What happens is he begins to enlist his girlfriend's support. Hey, all the new girls that are coming in, meet them. Let me know who you think might be good to set up with John. And so I get introduced to a couple, um, let's just say a handful of them. And I'm I'm not gonna lie, there's at least one that kind of stood out to me. She's kind of cute, kind of nice, you know. I I don't know this person whatsoever, but after a few weeks go by, and my buddy Jason keeps kind of like uh, prodding and pushing for this, I said I said all right, like I, I'd be kind of interested in this one. I'll I'm, I'm point one of them out. And so, listen, this, is, this was already my mistake. I shouldn't have told him anything. He decides that uh, we have a group of people that go out to dinner one evening. We all have this big group, probably 8 to 10. He invites her. I'm like, oh, this is a pretty sly way of us, like, finally meeting each other, actually having a conversation while we're sitting down for dinner. And then afterwards, uh, he invites us all to go to the lake. And we think, okay, cool, we have a big group, we're going to go from dinner to the lake. Little did I know that that invitation only went towards him, his girlfriend, me, and the other girl. See, he, he was already plotting and planning that he was going to get us together to have conversation, to figure each other out, to try and set us up. So we end up at this lake, me my buddy Jason, his girlfriend, and this, this girl that I've only known for a few weeks at the moment. We hang out for a little bit. We swim, we do some of that. And while Jason goes off and sits on the other side with his girlfriend, they basically just abandon us and say, all right, well, we're going to make this happen really quick. You guys get to know each other, talk to each other. I, awkward enough, have to try and curate conversation with this girl. So I sit next to her. I begin to ask her questions, trying to get to know her. And for those of you who know me, you might know where this is going. Let's just say there begins a storm of brewing within me. Of anxiousness, of nervousness, a little bit of greasy food in hot, humid Kentucky August, I, in the middle of conversation of we're just sitting there talking. I go, hey, hold on one second, I have to go throw up. I <laughs> I walk about, I get about 15 feet away from this girl, enough to go behind a tree. I throw up in the bushes and I have to come back, rinse my mouth out, so I, like I'm not like just like oozing out like just throw up like yeah, talk about good first impressions, right? Let's just say a relationship did not form that day. It did not, no, it did not flourish into, oh yeah, boyfriend, girlfriend kind of thing. No, um, that did did not happen whatsoever. Let's just say uh, my wife Hannah likes to give me a hard time for that story. She won't let me live that one down because the first time me and her hung out, I threw up in front of her. Yes, after six to seven months of friendship and Uh, patience on my part, Hannah finally said yes to me. I don't know if that just talks about she has a lot of grace in her heart or what, but somehow, listen, first impressions, if they don't work out, don't stop. Pursue. (laughs) Be patient. God tells us to be patient and pursue, right? (laughs) Listen, for real, like, first impressions are not my thing. I have a long, long list of just terrible moments where, oh, there's a, there's a bit of throw-up once I'm not going to lie. That, that usually throw-up and Taco Bell kind of have an underlying theme in a lot of my embarrassing stories and bad first moments. But, <laughs> yes, oh gosh, you guys are in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> coffee, it's only been coffee. I'm, I'm smarter than that. No, but the first time I did preach, I will let you know, I did throw-up. But that, that was a while ago, we'll get to that one another time. But for real, often when you meet somebody new, you have that first moment that you connect with someone. There, there's a bit of fear that comes with it, a bit of worry, uh, anxiousness that might come, A little bit, maybe a little bit of self-doubt because like I have, to, I have to interact with this person. I have to meet them. I have to ask questions. I have to be vulnerable to go, hey, this is awkward. Let me, let me ask you a question. Let me actually sit and listen. And if it comes from the right place, the worst thing you can do is embarrass yourself. Take it from the guy who has a long list, and my wife will probably gladly tell you all of these with a, with a nice, joyful smile and laugh at me. I have a long list of embarrassing stories around interacting with people. It's okay. I've been there. I've done that. But even if the first interaction doesn't go just right, who knows where it could end up. But if we get up at the first time, at that first interaction, when something doesn't go right, something doesn't go planned, maybe you throw up a little bit. listen. If we give up then, then you're putting, you're basically setting the end date already for that possible relationship, for that connection. You're basically putting it in a box and saying, this isn't going to go anywhere else. I'm just going to shelve this, never get to it. Maybe I might just shred it and just completely avoid the person, block their number. No, Hannah, I didn't do that. I'm sorry. You had to deal with me. But often we can can overcomplicate what it means to just meet somebody new. To go out into our community and say, yes, there are strangers all around me where I live, work, and play. There's people who are our neighbors. I guarantee we probably don't know, especially uh, for us who live in apartment complexes, and you have people come and go pretty regularly. I don't know all my neighbors. I see a lot of them out now that we have a dog who likes to go pee every hour. She gets me out, and I get to meet a lot of people, also because that dog, listen, I'm a little bit of an introvert, so there's those moments where I'll be honest. I'll I hang my head a little bit. I go to my mailbox, go to my car. My dog, no. She is end of her leash. I am going to meet that person no matter what. You can't stop me. Yes, she makes me uh, get introduced to quite a few people. But we have neighbors. We have coworkers. We have people at the gym we go to, the baristas and servers at the restaurant we go to, uh, people who are uh, other parents at our kids' sporting league. There are people in our community who are strangers that we have no idea who they are honestly, there's a lot of people in this room that at one point were strangers to us. We didn't know them. I've lived here for two years now. To think that over two years ago, a lot of you people in this room were strangers to me, and it was the first time I was even meeting you. But we live in a culture that sometimes says it's okay to isolate yourself, to be by yourself. Listen, have this fear, have this worry. Like, there's almost this level of isolation and division that just kind of pushes and keeps people apart. And that's where we as a church family, as a community can go to people and be different in that way. People are going to find any reason that they can to separate each other from one another. Whether it's a lifestyle choice, whether it's a certain way uh, people look, they speak where they come from, there's a never-ending list to reasons uh, that people will drive a wedge between community and relationships and connections. And in our passage today, uh, the reason why I went here is it's a passage that gets talked about a lot, but I want us to look at it in a little bit of a different light. We're looking at the Good Samaritan in here. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read the whole thing. It's in Luke 10:25 through 37. And this is what it says. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. You're looking at Jesus. and he says, "Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And he says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so the lawyer answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said these things to Jesus. And Jesus replies, he goes, yeah, you've answered that correctly. Do this, you're going to be just fine. Do this, and this is, this is how you live. But, he's, but the lawyer says, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, but who really is my neighbor? And so Jesus replies with this story, and it says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and along the way, robbers came. They stripped him, they beat him, and they departed, leaving him half dead on the side of the road. Now by chance, a priest was going down that same road And when he saw him when he saw the guy half dead on the side of the road he went to the other side and just passed on so likewise a levite when he came to the place saw the guy passed to the other side and just went on but then later a samaritan was journeying and he came to where this guy was and when he saw him says he had compassion in his heart he couldn't not but go up to him bound his wounds, pouring oil and wine on it. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him and whatever more he spends. I will repay whatever it is when I come back. And so Jesus asked the lawyer, he says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus replies, go and do likewise. Here in this passage, we have this lawyer who individually was basically coming up and asking, what do I need to do myself? What individually do I need to do to guarantee my place and the people of God who will inherit eternal life. What do I need to do to get to the good place? What do I need to do to be in right standing, to get on the winning team? And he asked, what do I do to belong to God's people? Moreover, basically what he he really wants to get down to is who is my neighbor in this? He's wanting to know how he can spot the others who belong to God's covenant people. See, really where uh, we're getting in here is the Jews back then, when they heard the word neighbor, what they began to think in terms of was members of the same people and religious community, that is, the other Jews. So basically, Jews, when they hear neighbor, when they say neighbor, they're thinking of their other Jews. They're thinking of the people who have the same values, same background, people who live in the same family community as them. And even within the Jewish people, there was a tendency to exclude certain people, um, to exclude certain others from their sphere of neighbor. Hence, where the lawyer's questioning begins to come around, basically saying, who belongs to God's family? Who, like, When I say neighbor, basically what he's asking, who belongs to God's family, who I should be a neighbor to and love the way in which I am to love God. And in response to his question, the story of the Good Samaritan gets told. And after Jesus asked him, which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? That is, which man acted, <clears throat> that is, which man acted like the one who belonged to God's family? The one who loved him? The answer for the lawyer was, was pretty obvious in that moment. He says, it's the one that showed him mercy. And in loose writing, he he does this intentional thing of basically saying, "Go and do, likewise." He's basically saying here 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 is a commentary, here is an example, here is an illustration of what it means to truly love your neighbor as oneself. The focus here on this parable is not on how Jesus acts, but how us Christians should live out. And this means that people who belong to God's covenantal community show love that isn't limited. Like, in, in their circumstance, it's not limited to the, the people that fall into the clean and unclean walls. It doesn't mean that it's limited to just our friends, but it has this universal scope to it. Jesus telling, um, Jesus' telling question at the end isn't asking who the Samaritan regarded as a neighbor. Rather, what Jesus is hitting on here is who turned out to be a neighbor to the half-dead Jew lying on the side of the road. What he's really asking this lawyer is a really tough and pointed question. He says, can you recognize the hated Samaritan as your neighbor? Can you recognize the hated Samaritan as your neighbor? Jews and Samaritans have a long history of, let's just say, not liking each other. So much so that when they would go and travel, they would completely go around the other nation. They would avoid each other at all costs. And if that isn't even enough, in Jesus saying this, Jesus himself is on the road to Jerusalem. And guess what? While Jesus is on that road, he doesn't take the detour. Rather, to the surprise of his disciples, he goes straight through Samaria. He doesn't avoid these people because the Jews don't like them, because they have confrontation, because they disagree on certain things. Rather, Jesus intentionally goes through Samaria, the place the Jews avoided at all costs. The way of confrontation is not the way of living and showing God's grace. Rather, Jesus, in this moment, is urgently offering the way of peace. And what's at stake then and now is whether um, we will use God's given revelation of love and grace as a way uh, of—basically, are we using God's grace as a way of boosting our own sense of isolated security— and purity or are we using it as a call and a challenge to extend that love and grace to the whole world genuinely to everybody in which god calls his family no church no christian should remain content complacent with easy definitions that allow us to watch a majority of the world lay on the side of the road like a half dead jew in this story Jesus said the most important thing that we can do is to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. This sounds like a simple plan. sounds pretty easy. It sounds like, okay, here, I got my check boxes to do. Just love God, love others. But it offers a different kind of life. It's a way of living that makes sense and can bring peace to people's souls. Whenever we center our lives around the Great Commission, and we take it very literally, the idea and the practice of loving our neighbor, there, there begin, begins to be this freedom, this peace, this depth of relationship that gets to come into our lives and gets to come into others. And by becoming, by becoming good neighbors, we're able to become who God created us to be. We're able to be the expression of God's love in his family in which he wants us to be, how Jesus lived it out. And as a result, our communities, when we live this out, our communities are able to be the places in which God intended them to be. In just my heart, and I think we can all kind of see this and feel this and be a part of this, just the continued polarization, the continued divide that we see in our world, it... Honestly, it is so contradictory to what God is calling us to, what God wants our communities to look like. To love God means to love our neighbors. And so he challenges us to actually put that into action and to live that out in our everyday lives where we live, work, and play. And if we're being formed by Jesus, if we're truly encountering God's love in our own lives and we begin to recognize and understand that, we're going to be excited. And we're going to be eager to go and engage those in our everyday lives who maybe don't know that, who don't know that type of love, who don't know that type of grace, who are truly strangers to who Jesus is and haven't rightly encountered him. When we begin to know that ourselves and we are formed and shaped by Jesus' love, then we can truly bring others and show them that same love as well. So, what happens when we begin to see people truly as people that God created, that God loved, and for us to be able to do this, it's going to be a challenge because we're going to have to embrace the awkwardness. We're going to have to take a step of faith. Maybe we have to deal with a little bit of the throat. We're going to have to deal with a little bit of the worry, a bit of the anxiousness, a bit of the fear of the what if. What if I say something wrong? What if I, What if I don't articulate well enough? What What if I'm just, honestly, what if I'm just a little weird and I don't know how to engage in this conversation? I don't know what to say. How do I even begin this? What happens when we um, we allow this fear, this anxiety, this worry to determine how we're going to engage those around us? It's going to lead to three different things. It's going to lead to a level of isolation, which many of us have probably dealt with isolation where we live lonely lives, where uh, we begin to go out of our house. We go to work. We go and do our things as quick as we can to keep our head down. Don't see somebody. Oh, there's that text message. Let me make sure I don't have my red receipts on so I can just delete it. And they don't know that I actually read it. Maybe I just didn't receive it. Uh, You know what? No, I would never do that. But often we can, we can live this isolated life where we worry so much about the other people that we're unwilling to engage with that. And we never get to know people around us. And the flip side, they don't get to know who we are. Maybe, maybe it's the fear. Maybe we become weary of those around us, and they become weary of us as well. You know, that which is unknown is scary, right? That's a big portrayal in a lot of the sci-fi movies. That which we don't know is scary. And so when we don't get to know our neighbors when we don't get to know those who live around us. It's pretty easy to imagine the worst in someone. It's easy to picture the worst out of them because we truly don't know who they are. And the other thing is maybe it's a level of misunderstanding. When we don't get to know those around us, it's easy to get wrong ideas about one another, to put words in someone else's mouth, to begin to put them in a box, place things upon them, make decisions for them. And not giving them the opportunity to really show you who they truly are we begin to misunderstand people get the wrong idea close them off push them away and say i'm not gonna touch you with a 20-foot pole and just not deal with it so how do we truly be a neighbor i think i think the first way for us to really begin to live this out of how do strangers become friends so we just genuinely have to identify who are the strangers in our life who are the people that we pass by each and every day I mean think about it we, we are all in different uh, areas different communities maybe it's where you live and you're kind of thinking about you okay who are the neighbors that live around me do I even know their names do, can I recognize their faces what about the people at work uh, maybe in the cubicles who work on the line who work around you or maybe even the people that go and do a similar hobby as you the people that you see when you go play golf pretty regularly people um, you see over on, when we we are going out and playing on the softball field, I mean, I think about so many people that it's like, man, I I don't know who the majority of these people are. We're constantly surrounded by people. And often, I think we're good at picking out and choosing the people that we want to interact with, the people that we want to label as our neighbors, right? We're good at picking them out, but we're not always the best at being actual neighbors to those who are truly in proximity to us. We hear passages like this, and we get the right idea thinking, okay, God, yes, I get it. Everybody is my neighbor, right? Okay, cool, I can do that. Everyone's my neighbor, regardless of belief, uh, of their lifestyle, of their value, but sometimes we struggle to identify the one who's just next door and get to know their name. Making room for strangers, it begins by developing flexibility and compassion within our hearts. The compassion of the Samaritan and we often have to, we have to be weary to not become numb to the power of this great commandment. Everyone is my neighbor. It doesn't become an excuse for us not to get to know those in proximity to us. You know, often um, I, 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 I think something that we can do so, can be so tough to fall into is we set this big, audacious goal. You know, we aim so big that when we aim so big, we truly end up hitting nothing. When you look at the dartboard and you, you look at it and you're like, I just want to get on there, It's so much easier to miss than if you're actually aiming for a certain point on it. And when we look at our community and we say, yeah, everyone's my neighbor. I want to reach everyone in Vancouver, even those on the complete opposite side of town. I want to make sure I hit those down in campus, I want to make sure I hit those in downtown. I want to hit all the way up to Richfield. That often we don't even hit those who are living right next door. When we aim too big, we can often hit nothing. And it's not to say that those people aren't our neighbors and that we shouldn't aim for them. But when we insist insist we're neighbors with everyone, we can fall into the trap of being neighbors to nobody. And Jesus calls us to love those nearest to us, our literal neighbors, those whom we might not like or agree with. That's always the toughest part is those neighbors who you might need to avoid or escape from or or have to figure out how to deal with because they genuinely, The people around us, they're going to talk different. They're going to look different. They're going to sound different. They come from different cultures. Maybe they have this wild history, backstory. Maybe they're your annoying, noisy neighbors upstairs, and you're like, oh my gosh, they need to get rid of that dog because that dog is up till 12 a.m. I hope people don't say that about us. I love my little dog. But we don't just love the people who are in broken and need on the side of the road. We love those that we pass by each and every day intentionally. Now, and as we kind of wrap up with this, kind of the way I want us to begin this series and begin thinking about as we talk about making room and moving from strangers to friends is it truly does begin with us being able to identify those in our life. And so each of you, I know you got teaching notes around you. You got pens around you. If you're online, you probably got a phone, a little something. We'll make you work today. We're going to do a little exercise. And what I encourage you is to take that And just number out, one, two, three, four, five. And for you to think about, maybe it's a house across the road that I I don't know anyone there. Maybe it's someone at your work, you're like, man, I, I could picture their face, but I have no idea a name that goes with that face. Maybe it's someone who's on your sports league team and your fantasy football league, somebody around you in your everyday life. You're like, man, I don't even know their name. I can barely picture their face. But I encourage you this week is to be able to fill that out. What is their name? And get to know them. And ask them. And be able to ask them a question. Be able to ask them, hey, tell me a little bit about your story. Where are you from? What motivates you? What dreams do you and your family have? As we begin to get to know people, we're going to see strangers become friends. One of the... um, one of the cool things that I've seen happen here around generations, and I've loved this because we have this value of we want to see the family of God expand. We want to truly live out story over sin, and that means that you're going to get you're going to get to know somebody in their story. I've had multiple instances around here where I've had opportunities to just get to know people. I think about one instance where um, there's a guy in our church who uh, starting in 2019, we are getting coffee once a week, every Thursday, right down at BlackRock at 2 o'clock. We rarely missed appointments. Sometimes we would if we didn't have our phone all the time. But uh, we would get together, and it is just a cool opportunity to be able to sit down over coffee and just get to know somebody. Say, hey, tell me a little bit about your story. I know yours is quite different than mine. We come from different places, we're uh, in a different age group. Like, tell me a little bit about your story. How has God at work in your life? some of your dreams, your passions? And what you begin to see is you see, you see a stranger become a friend through intentional time and connection. And one of the beautiful things is I've been able to see that be- go from a friend to a family when my car window got busted into. The glass is shattered all over the place, and he comes up to me, and he says, Hey, take your car, drive it over to my house, let's clean it out, take our other car that we have just sitting here until you're able to get that window fixed. That's a stranger that became a friend. And became family, who in an instant, when I needed something, would drop anything to help me out in that moment. And the beautiful thing is that we have the opportunity to do that, to go beyond just the people who are sitting in this room, those who are traveling, who are sick right now, but to be able to go into our community with the people who live next door, the workers that are around us each and every day, and to begin to express this love and grace that Jesus has given us. When we're willing to step into community, and intentionally making room for others. We're going to see God's family expand. And for that to happen, we have to be willing to identify and pursue those around us, regardless of how embarrassing you can be at times, no matter how awkward the conversation might get, to be willing to put your trust and faith in Jesus saying, God, I I know you see this person. You love this person. God, I want to get to know them because you created them. And I want to share that same love and grace in which you have shared with me, which is where I think of an Anne and Michael who we've loved getting to know, but we're also excited for them to be able to go out and be able to live this out up in Spokane. because I know this is who their heart is and how they've been formed in embodying who Jesus is, that they're going to be able to go and do that with brand new strangers where they get to go. If the family of God begins to embrace the mission and desire, we truly are going to see the family of God expand and people go from strangers to friends and friends to neighbors. Well, friends to family. You get it. <laughs> awesome. Will you guys pray with me? Father, I'm, I'm just grateful for you. I'm grateful that you bring us together, that you, you are the reason that we are able to gather with our differences, our backgrounds, our stories, our brokenness, our awkwardness, our gosh, God, we're we are a mess. Let's just be honest and real about that. We, we are a mess, but God, it is you that brings us together. Your love, your grace, your mercy, Your your compassion, your pursuit in which you have shown us that not only did you just create us, but God, you love us despite our brokenness and everything that comes along with that. God, you continue to show us that time and time again, and I'm so thankful for that. God, I pray that us as generations and as our community is able to embody this, embody this same love in what you have shown us and what it looks like to encounter those that we come across in our everyday life. Not to just look at those who, who maybe have the biggest need and the brokenness, but God, to really begin to look at those who are truly in proximity to us every day and to begin to maybe break the seal, rip off the band-aid and just take that first step and to get to know who they are, hear a little bit about their story, and begin to share how you are at work. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. I'm just thankful for these times when we get together to gather, to glorify, and to worship you. Father, it's in your son's name we pray.